As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Welcome to Naked Reflections, brought to you from the Wolf Institute. I'm Ed Kessler, and each week I'll be taking an in-depth look at the stories reported by our friends over at the Naked Scientists. What does the latest scientific stuff mean for the rest of us? Stay with us and find out. Hello and welcome to Naked Reflections. I suppose many of us feel the need to believe in something in order to make sense of the world whether it takes the form of religious faith, the provability of science, or some strongly held theory, belief seems to matter a lot to a lot of people. But strong belief, fervently held, does not necessarily satisfy another great human need, the need to belong, to be counted in some way. I suspect that many of those who go to places of worship, churches, synagogues, mosques, and temples, don't worry too much about dogma, but just enjoy feeling part of their community and helping to make a difference. Believing and belonging is our subject this week. To believe is not necessarily to belong, and surprise, surprise, to belong is not necessarily to believe. Here's the astronomer royal Martin Rees talking about these matters on the Wolf Institute podcast, Encounter. I've got no beliefs in religion, no beliefs in any dogma, but I was brought up in a traditional English home where the church existed and I went to schools where we had chapel and I came to love the music and the architecture, etc. And I feel that the Anglican Church and all it stimulated is an important part of our culture and I'm very happy to support it and to attend its ceremonies and I hope to be buried according to its rights, as incidentally George Orwell said, although he was not a Christian. Cultural Anglicanism is what Martin Rees calls it. With me to discuss the subtleties of believing and belonging are Professor Grace Davy, author of a seminal book, Religion in Britain, since 1945. 
A sociologist by training, Grace coined the phrase believing without belonging to describe religiosity and secularization in Britain. This is the argument that although church attendance has declined, people still think of themselves as religious on an individual level, which is why research shows over 80% of the world identify with one religion or another. Grace has just co-edited a volume called the Oxford Handbook of Religion and Europe, which explores secularization, diversity, and somewhat depressingly points out how ill at ease we are across the whole European continent. And with Grace, I'm delighted to welcome back Rabbi Danny Smith, who trained as a psychotherapist and counsellor. Danny is Minister Emeritus at Edgware and Hendon Reform Synagogue and was lecturer in pastoral care and counselling at Leobet College, one of the largest progressive rabbinical seminaries in Europe. Welcome both. The feeling of belonging is fundamental to humans. How does that transmit into belief, religious or otherwise, Grace? First, let me say what a pleasure it is to be with you. But I'm just going to back up a wee bit just to make sure that people grasp what I was doing when I put these two words together, believing without belonging. I was trying to capture a mood which was in the 1990s. And I was very aware that the secularization narrative was not straightforward, that people were holding on in some respects to vestigial faith. Um, and sometimes they did that through belief, which tends to be the pattern in Britain. Other cultures who have a stronger sense of belonging or a theology of belonging, for example, the Nordic countries, immediately flipped it and said belonging without believing. Um, in the end, used the term vicarious religion to foreground the institution and pointing out that both belief and belonging could be hard or soft. You can attach yourself to an institution and make creedal statements, or you can say something very vague like, I think this world is in some way penultimate, or I believe in something, but I, I'm not going to specify. Now, it's rather the same with belonging, that you can you can be active, church-going, or um, observant in whatever religious community you are part uh, or you can simply say, I'm glad that institution is there. I, I, I put my hand up and say, yeah, I like the Church of England. I like my Jewish community, but let the others just get on with it and I'll dip in when I want to. And then you have the notion of this community doing something on behalf of everybody else. That's what vicarious means. Yes, I recognise vicarious religion. Um people who want the institution to be there for them when they want it, but otherwise do not little to support it without realising that synagogues and cemeteries and rabbinical schools and you know, require staff and maintenance and huge costs. Uh, and increasingly small number of people uh, have to support all of that. It's not going to be there when and if they want it. And I was just wondering if there's a difference between those groups that are the established religion where the country expects majority of members in the country just expect it to be there for them and it often is being supported by the state and I think that's true in Israel for the Jewish world for example that people expect the synagogue to be available to them um, whereas here in England if you're a minority group then most of I think Jews in Britain appreciate that if they want to have a wedding or a funeral or a mitzvah or classes for their children, they may have to pay for it or at least become members of a synagogue and support the synagogue. And 
the people have been most annoyed with me when I said that they have to join a synagogue or pay for it have often been visiting Israelis who feel they've got a right to be in a synagogue and haven't really thought through the consequences of who will support it. I also take that point of the danger of the negative, and I think one of the things mentioned in your book was that those who do not attend but want it occasionally want the rituals to remain unchanged, want the thing to be familiar as it was in their childhood or as it always is, whereas those who are active and attending often welcome change and a change of liturgy or music because they want to keep the thing vibrant and meaningful. The average Jew, I think, when we ticked in a census, you know, what religion are you, when we put Jewish, very few of us were thinking theologically. It wasn't what the issue was. It was, do we identify with a people, a history, a tradition, um, even if we don't believe? And in fact, quite a few Jews are quite anti-religious, certainly uh, in Israel, and yet they would claim their Jewish identity and not even see it in necessarily religious terms. So, you know, a civilization, a culture, an ethnic group, all of that. So the word religion and belief doesn't necessarily mean quite the same in Judaism as it would, I think, in Christianity, which is more theologically based. And, you know, it's of emphasis rather than absolutes. But I think Christianity... If you say I am a Christian, probably many would think in some kind of theological statement is being made there, some kind of faith statement. The danger is that when you start saying, here's where I belong, here's us, you start creating a them, you know, an outside group. And how we handle the them, whether we can be generous and caring and loving, as I think scripture tells us to be, and I'm sure of it, uh, or whether we treat the outside of the them as a negative, as a danger, as if we denigrate them and even hate them. I think that, for me, is the crucial area where religion can become a force for good or bad. All over Europe, I'm beginning to see new configurations that, that worry me considerably. It comes in different forms in different places, but the common theme is the dominant religion, which is Christian in Europe, I mean, the more belief drops out of it, the more that you are losing belief or becoming more secular, it's laying itself open to be used negatively. In other words, as a bulwark against mostly Islam. For a little while now, we've seen that tendency, say, in Hungary or Poland, I mean, a, a lot is changing right now, almost as we speak. But you can also see it in the Nordic countries, which is much more surprising. Finland and Denmark are good cases. And I find that belonging or the culturalization of religion um, deeply concerning. And I think it's happening because we're losing the content. Because, as Danny said, the, the teaching that comes from the content is welcome the stranger you know, the generosity, um, the drawing in, the, the caring, you know, whoever you are, we care about your well-being. Um, and it's beginning to flip in, in a way that I think is disquieting. The concept of welcoming the stranger is not necessarily something that only religious people embrace. 
it's very much part of a humanitarian value. Um, and are we witnessing, and you're, you're at the, the cutting edge here, are we witnessing more the decline of multiplicity of identity, that we are less comfortable having these multiple identities and that we're being reduced, perhaps under the, the banner of nationalism or the nation state, to, to having one aspect of identity? So therefore, to be Russian means to be Russian Orthodox Christian. It doesn't mean Christian anymore because if I'm a Catholic or I'm a Protestant, I, I might not be deemed uh, as equal, let alone a Jew or Muslim or, or other. So is that what's going on? Or is, is what you're saying that the loss of religious literacy and the growth of sectorization means that um, the religious language is being abused for ideological goals? My hunch is it's both and. Um, I mean, we are losing the narrative, that's for sure. And there's a lot in the narrative that would counteract the tendency of, you know, exclusion. I also think that we are probably uncomfortable in clinging to the familiar. Yes, I recognise that. In fact, just to go back to sort of basic religion in, in the Torah, in the five books of Moses, it says once you shall love your neighbours yourself, but it twice tells us to love the strangers ourselves. And in fact, uh, according to Talmud, 36 times we're told to care, provide, shelter, feed, etc. the stranger. It really is stressed, and I'm partly perhaps because that's the harder thing to do. It's not difficult to love your neighbours yourself. That phrase comes in a passage in Leviticus dealing with how to deal with your brother and your family. It's, it's very much the one who is like yourself. Whereas the stranger is the outsider, the other. And I do take the point that secular people can also be inclusive, caring and loving. I've got, you know, I, I can see it in practice. And secular people can also be exclusive and nasty. So it's not a question of whether you're religious or secular. It's how you treat the one who is other. And the danger with love your neighbours yourself or even love the strangers yourself is that yourself becomes kind of the host normal one and the stranger or the neighbor is the one who has to somehow fit in to yourself to your host community and i think what may be happening on some level i, I just this is a guesswork is that everybody is beginning to feel like an other rather than truly at home in themselves in who they are you know in their society and i think just as the world i mean Professor Davey introduced the idea of multiple modernities, not quite the way I'm using it now. But just as societies now very mixed and multiple, so each of us individually is becoming fairly split and multiple. So a bit of me is quite modern and a bit of me is very conservative and you know, a bit of me is secular, a bit of me is religious. And the trick, I think, certainly in therapy, was to try and get all these bits working together in dialogue you know, interculturally. And I guess that's what Wolf Institute is trying to do, is to keep the conversation going, to keep the respect going. We are becoming more diverse, but at the same time, we're becoming more secular. Don't think that you've reversed the secularization process. And I think it's that combination which is very taxing, because we're having to deal with new things, unexpected things, and um, the natural vocabulary that came from bodies of faith. I mean, it's been doing this for centuries, but we don't know them anymore. And I think half-belief is a little bit tricky. Um, it, it's not confident belief, because confident belief is the one that allows you to, to be generous. And I think, it, it, in many ways, that's what we're losing. And confident is not dominant. They're different things. 
I mean, for example, if I go back to the Church of England, which is the institution I know best, um, there's lots of debates about establishment and, and should it be this and should it be that. Well, I often say I think that the Church of England needs to deploy its position as a weak established church, no longer able to dominate, um, silly to try, but very well placed to convene and dialogue. This is Naked Reflections with me, Ed Kessler. Our subject this week is believing and belonging. My guests, Professor Grace Davy and Rabbi Danny Smith. I was listening to Professor Davy and I wonder, there's something adolescent about the search for identity in extreme ways. As a child is leaving family insecurity, they're looking for who am I, and they often form gangs, you know, peer group gangs with insiders and outsiders. I wonder if Europe is going through something like that. It's a maturation process. And the danger in adolescence is that one sort of forecloses the discussion and says, I am a definite this, you know, I am a communist, I am a Christian, I am a Jew, whatever, and doesn't allow the tension and the multiplicity to grow within oneself and find a a more mature internal dialogue that allows for psychologically, we'd say shadow side or the dark side or the other side or the negatives uh, and and recognise one's fullness of personality in the same way as society is enriched if one's willing to allow the different voices to have their time and place and be heard, sometimes contradictory voices. I suppose there must be some higher principle that holds us together, respect for humanity, you know, loving the other. And it's easy, I think, for traditional religions to voice this because it's part of our vocabulary. I do think the same is true in the secular world. I, I'm not entirely upset by the fact that people become more secular. As I say, there's some secular visions that really have room and respect for religion, and that's great. And others that decide to fight against anybody who doesn't believe what they believe. And I think that's as bad as religion, when religion becomes uh, intolerant. I wonder, too, whether we we have become a little bit complacent in Europe. Um, after 89, 90, you know, it seemed like, oh, at last it's come right, you know, and, and, and we can sit back and relax. I guess from 9-11 on that that became increasingly difficult to do and it's increasingly difficult to say that when the things go badly wrong they're the exceptions they're coming too often um and one thing i think that happens in this is then people turn to um authoritarian regimes and the strong leader that is a recurring theme um what worries me is sometimes when forms of religion and in my case it's forms of christianity usually um allow themselves to be co-opted this process. And I think that's something we need to think, not only think very hard against, but resist. Isn't that the point that what we're seeing isn't European exceptionalism? It's not sort of this ugly syncretism of uh, radicalization of secular Christianity, if I can call it that, um, and political ideology. We're seeing it in Jewish radicalization in Israel. We're seeing it in uh, Islamic radicalization. We're seeing it in India uh, with the Hindu Vata. We see it in Myanmar with Buddhist violence and so on. So this is a global phenomenon that we're facing and isn't limited to any one region or any one faith tradition. 
I think you're absolutely right. But what I would say, being a European, is I think these are the factors in Europe that we need to pay attention to. Um, now, you, you might well see something very similar to that in, in Modi's India or in Bolsonaro's Brazil or whatever. Um, I don't think I could do the detail of that. And it would be interesting to see if um, there are commonalities there or whether they're deploying other aspects of their faith tradition um, to the same sort of aim. Danny, help us as we bring this podcast to a close, bring us back to this question, taking what Grace has said to belonging. First of all, thinking of this last month, I was reading the Orthodox Church, Russian, Ukrainian, and their increasing split and arguments, which are couched in theological terms, but are clearly not about theology, um, are clearly about territory, identity. And again, what worries me is that in an effort to feel part of the us, part of the majority group, the normal group, each side characterizes the other as the evil, the you know the devil, the anti, whatever. Um, and it's very painful when groups split like that. And I, it has happened in, in Europe time and again that uh, you know people who are very close to each other, um, as they argue, can use the most terrible actions and words against each other. Now, you're asking me to bring this together in a hopeful way. Um, and I I think there's a challenge here for us. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not predicting you know, the future. I'm saying in a sort of normal Jewish way, so here's the work. You know, here's what we have to do. We don't know where it's going to go to. But we do know what we need to do, and that's to keep reminding ourselves of the humanity of the other, um, even in, in a terrible crisis uh, and that's not easy you know when, when your own home or those that you feel are like you are being threatened it's too easy to just see the other in totally negative terms but I don't think that's healthy that's not going to be a long-term solution so even in fighting the other one still has to remember the humanity of the other and the value of the other and I do think that in the long run, that's what has to happen, even in a situation like Ukraine-Russia in the long run, that they've got eventually to live together again in a mature way. Um, but it may take a lot of time and work. There we must bring it to a close. I hope at the very least you found the show believable and that you still feel Naked Reflections belongs to you. Thanks to my guests, Danny Smith and Grace Davey. And thanks to you two for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and you might want to browse our archive of podcasts, which include dialogues about peace, reconciliation and, like today, disagreeing well. And feel free to check out other podcasts from the Wolf Institute or from our friends at The Naked Scientists. I'll be back next week with more guests. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.